Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our guest today is one of Australia's best-known netballers. With three world championships and two Commonwealth Games gold medals to her name throughout a 14-year stint in green and gold, including four as captain, she then made a successful transition to the commentary box and was recognised as an Officer of the Order of Australia for her distinguished service to the game. Today's trailblazer is Liz Ellis. Liz Ellis, hello and welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Steph. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, I've got to say, in a freezing winter. So as we speak, you're flat out in the midst of a cracking Suncorp Super Netball season. How good is it to be back in stadiums this year? Oh, it's so good. And in front of real people and crowds <laughs> and home crowds and away crowds. It is so good. And it's so, you know, it's just great to see the players in a, in a home and away season. I think last year we just pumped through everything so much you couldn't sit back and enjoy some of the great action that we saw, whereas this year you're going back to thinking, oh, my God, I've got a week to think about how good that game was. So it's, it's brilliant. No, it certainly is. And your old team, the Swifts, have been drawing fabulous support in their new home at Ken Rosewall Arena. The fans have loved it. What are your thoughts? Um, it's a little cold, but other than that, it's great. And I think it comes up really well on television. You know, for us commentators who sit in our little frocks, I think we can suck it up because it's absolutely worth it to be able to have 10,000 fans at a time. You know, the Swift uh, have reached 5,000 members, which is a record for any netball club. So to be able to have a stadium that fits them all in is really fantastic. And it's a terrific atmosphere. The noise is great. When I think about you know, when I started my career for playing for, we were then Sydney Synovus because we were named after our sponsors. Well, you know, we used to play at the Anne Clark Centre in front of 800 people and that was a big deal. And then to go to the State Sports Centre was a massive deal and a huge risk for netball New South Wales to take. And then here we are at a venue that regularly seats up to 10,000 people. It's brilliant. 173 games, of course, to your name in uh, what was then, I think it eventuated into the Commonwealth Bank Trophy. How much has the actual competition evolved since you were dominating it? Oh, God, massively so. And even before the Commonwealth Bank Trophy, when I first started out, I was playing for the Australian Institute of Sport back in 1991. And back then, the, the competition was actually, it was called a Super League, but it was basically the, the teams who won each state's state league got promoted every year so there was no certainty about what you were doing so <laughs> some years you'd play and some years you'd miss out and when I think back now like I, I sometimes look back at and see old footage and I think we're in slow motion compared <laughs> to what's happening now because you know the players are able to train full-time they can work on their bodies they're so much stronger and faster the skills are so much better because now they're professional athletes so it's a world away from what we played but I still feel like I love the era that I played in because we were able to fly under the radar a bit. There was no social media. We were allowed to be a bit naughty and no one ever caught us. <laughs> Just on social media, I did a bit of a stalker look at your Twitter account. I hear you like the Suncorp Super Netball ad. Gets you a bit teary, does it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Every time. And <laughs> I don't know. I've watched a 
watching the netball the other last Saturday afternoon with my husband, and it came on, and I was like, "He's like, he's okay." And I said, "I think it's my menopause." <laughs> it's just, it's a great ad, you know. And I've, I'm a mum now. I've got a little girl, and, and she plays netball, and she loves it. And I can see how much her and her peers love the games. I watched that ad, and you, you sort of get a sense of the investment that families make into oh, their absolutely. kids. And you know, when that investment pays off as a you keep getting a contract to play professionally. It, it must be amazing. Yeah, I think now that I'm a little bit older and I can sort of sit back and see the sacrifices that my family made, I can appreciate it a little bit more. So, yeah, it gets me in the fields every time. Well, as I was out at Sydney Olympic Park and New South Wales Swifts had a number of the then Sydney Swifts alumni in the crowd, uh, how much do you all keep in touch? Oh, we keep in touch regularly and we actually have a little WhatsApp group set up and it gets very busy in the week before a Swift <laughs> Firebirds game because, you know, both of those teams are coached by our old teammates. Bryony Akel, of course, coaching the Swifts and Megan Anderson this year coaching the Firebirds. So there's a bit of banter going on and it's, you know, it's pretty amazing when you think back. We, we, we didn't get paid to play mm. back when we were all playing together. So we did it because we loved it and we did it because we were such great mates. You know, we're all different ages and different stages of our lives, but... We still all keep in touch. I think when you win a premiership together in particular, and we won a couple, it gives you this unbreakable bond because you've achieved something so magnificent together. And, you know, that moment after the whistle goes of a grand final, you know, it's like a gel that bonds you, you together forever. You do so much hard work to get to that point with each other that even now I can look at Bryony when she's coaching and know what she's thinking. And, you know, Kath Cox and I commentate together and I only have to give her a bit of side eye to know what she's about to say. You know, we're still really close. And I, I love that our group that came through together is, are now really involved in Suncorp Super Netball. You know, we've got two coaches, we've got a couple of commentators. You know, Kim Green as well has, has joined the commentary team and she was one of the, the yellow swifts as well. And, you know, the matriarch, of course, is Julie Fitzgerald, who's now coaching mm. the Giants. She's coached all of us. So there's a really lovely thread that runs through the competition at the moment. And then the, the women who you saw out there with the alumni game, they're involved at junior level. Their kids are really into it. And we get together when we can and all our kids get along really well. And it's just, it's a really nice, it's a nice sort of hangover from my career. We think about professional sports as being really ruthless, but you know, that friendship group is, is incredibly strong. Absolutely beautiful. You mentioned Julie Fitzgerald. She's literally seen you grow up on the netball court. I can't believe you didn't wear her out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I sent her a message when she coached the 350th last week and I was like, I can't believe you're still coaching after putting up with Coxie and I for all those years. So yeah. And I love the fact that she's still so enthusiastic about it. And you, you know, I watched her yesterday, you know, with the Giants playing and I watched her when the, her team did something really well. You know, one of the young kids in the team, Matisse Leatherbarrow, scored the last um, points of the game with a super shot. And I looked at Julie's face and she was so excited. It was it was as if it was the first time she coached a super shot or coached a kid to do something amazing. And to still have that passion and drive after all these years. You know, when she first started coaching me, I was playing state league for Karingai and it was in 1993. And we used to train outdoors up at Warunga or Taramara. And mm. she was a single mum with four little kids and she'd bring them all to training and they'd all have to just sit around and amuse themselves. I don't know why she did it, but she was, she's just the most amazing woman. And, you know, something that doesn't get talked about very much with her, but, you know, um, she raised these kids single-handedly. She raised all of us to a degree because, um, you know, she watched us and guided our careers from a really young age. I was 18 when I started playing under her. And, 
you know, she's got four adult kids now who all adore her, who are all incredibly professionally successful. You know, she's got a kid who's a doctor, a daughter who's a doctor, a daughter who's a lawyer, um, another one's almost a lawyer and a son, like, um, in property. So she's got these incredibly successful kids. She's got all these athletes who she has mentored and brought through. She's, I, I can't speak highly enough of Julie Fitzgerald. Oh, what an extraordinary woman. Now, you mentioned that you crossed paths with her at 18. What was it for you before then? You grew up in Windsor, right? Was it always netball? Always. Um, so I used to love rugby league, and my dad and I would go across to the Panthers, and I loved watching footy with him. But back then, girls couldn't play footy, so mm. it was never an option. Um, Mum played a little bit of netball and got me involved when I was young um, because of a, a woman rang her, a woman called Sheila Ether, who was president of a local club and begged her to let me play because mum thought I was a bit of a bookworm and a bit uncoordinated and I wouldn't <laughs> like it. So Sheila talked her into it and I've actually never looked back. I'm still a bookworm and I'm still uncoordinated, but I've had a pretty good netball career. So, um, and it was, you know, it was netball all the way. I had a little sister and we had a netball post in the backyard and we wore the grass down to dirt and just loved it. AIS in the early 90s, was that kind of an ideal pathway to elite netball? Back then it was, yeah. It was the place to go if you wanted to prog- progress. And if you looked at the Aussie team, you know, 80% of them had been at the AIS. And for me, it was the best thing I could have done. It gave me an incredible work ethic. And I understood what it took to play at the elite level. You know, previous to that, I'd, I was a pretty good junior. And I'd sort of gotten by and I hadn't really applied myself to, to my fitness and that sort of stuff. I was just good enough to sort of get through but when I got to the AIS, I realised, you know, it's another step up. If you want to play professionally or play for Australia, you actually have to do so much more work. So that was good for me. Getting that reinforced to me, you know, seven days a week for two years, it was a good time. And again, I made great friends that I've still got, that, you know, women that I still catch up with all those years later. Mm. And you were a one-club player for the Swifts or the Sydney Swifts at the time. First team, of course, featured not just a young Liz Ellis, but also one Catherine Cox. Did you two ever think that you would go on this incredible journey together? No, because actually the first time I met Coxie, she was playing in, in, in schoolgirls and she was in my sister's team. So I thought she was just, you know, my brat sister's <laughs> friend. <laughs> And didn't pay much attention. And then she turned up in, you know, at Karingine in the Swifts and oh, I was like, she's really funny. And we had no idea that our careers would take on the trajectory that they did. And, you know, I just, I still laugh that, that we worked together. Like my husband last night picked me up from the airport and he goes, I can't believe you two are on television together. You're so loose when you commentate. Because <laughs> we say stuff and then we go, Oh my God! There's a microphone. Like I can't believe we're we're given live microphones <laughs> on Channel Nine, and no one's pulled it up yet, right? So we're still getting away with it. So we do laugh. We laugh at our career. And the further I am away from my playing career, the more I can appreciate it, and the more I can appreciate what a unique friendship that that Coxie and I have. That we went through so much together. We've travelled the world together. You know, we had a thing when we were playing that after every tour, we'd go somewhere and book a great restaurant in some great city. So we've dined at the most unbelievable places in Paris and New York and London. And we've been all over the world, you know, <laughs> eating eating great food and drinking great wine. And we're really fortunate. And, you know, now we're mums. You know, um, her little girl is four weeks older than my, my youngest, my little boy. So we're sort of going through that together now as well, which is just, it's really great fun. And, you know, yesterday she had a little girl out there and, I'm trying to tell her that she has to marry my son and she's not that keen on the idea. 
So, to be honest, my son's not keen on the idea of a wife at all because he's five. So, um, (laughs) anyway, we'll we'll sort them out in about 20 years' time um, and they'll do as they're told. That friendship with Kath Cox would last the test of time and see them both in national team colours. Next up, we chat diamonds. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting to netball legend Liz Ellis. The stories you must have, Liz. Netball has always seemed like such good girls. They come across as ladylike and all that sort of thing. Knowing a few of you, you're such cracking chicks. How much mischief did you really get up to? Oh, my God, so much mischief. And I often say that, um, I mean, I can't tell you specifics because what goes on tour stays on tour. But, um, you know, we had we just had so much fun together. Even, you know, with the diamonds when we travelled, it was like we were, when we were overseas, we were so far away, we were just it was like, right it's time for mischief because you've got time to sit around and think about things. And, and you know, um, <laughs> idle hands of the devil's work and, oh, yep. my God, we had some idle time. So when I think back, you know, being on tour turns you into a child again because you're being told what to wear, where you have to be, what you have to do every day, everything's structured. So you don't have to think for yourself, right? So you just go back to being silly. And we just used to do dumb things and um, play pranks on each other and, um, played cards and we played rummy cub. Coxie and I, I reckon must have played eight thousand games of rummy cub. But we even like we even just got silly at training. So like I remember one day Norma Plummer, our coach, um, we were away with the Diamonds overseas and um, halfway through a session she had to go to the toilet. So when, as she went, I said, "Everybody hide!" So we all <laughs> went away. <laughs> we hid in this stadium, and when she came out, she cracked it because she couldn't find any of us. And <laughs> None of us would come out and, oh, my God, it was like it's so funny to think of it, but it's so juvenile. And that is really how we rolled. And, you know, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it properly. So, you know, we had so much fun and we used to be so silly. Like we'd go out after tests and people would say, oh, my God, you girls must just go out all the time. And we did it On tour, you don't go out because you're training and playing every single day. That And that's, that's not really the culture that... You know, we only tour for sort of two weeks to a month. So you don't need to be out of the time. But we'd always celebrate and have a party on the last night of tour and things used to get very loose. But again, I'm very grateful there was no social media. I am surprised that you haven't sent some of those coaches very prematurely, uh, not just uh, grey, but maybe insane. Um, you behave with <laughs> such decorum in the public eye. Can you explain to me, Lizellas, how you came to be living with the World Cup trophy at your dinner table? Oh, yeah. Well, again, it was just, um, it was Coxie and I. So I had, when we got home from the World Cup in 2007, um, I'd retired. And so I had a bit of time on my hands. And Netball Australia got me to do a bit of a trophy tour. So they sent me to a few different places regionally um, with the trophy. So I had the box and I'd get on the plane and take it with me. And it was, it all got very special treatment. Anyway, after the last one, it was coming up to Christmas and Everyone had gone on leave and I still had the trophy. So Coxie was living with Matthew and myself, my husband and myself. And we also had um, the Commonwealth Bank trophy trophy because, again, someone had (laughs) given it to me to do something and I just hadn't returned it. So um, we we had this table that, you know, could put a few people on it. So every night we'd set the place for for the World Cup trophy and occasionally we'd pull out the Commonwealth Bank trophy and we'd sit there and we'd give it a champagne and... <laughs> oh my God! See, we didn't have children then, so um, we had time to be ridiculous. But 
we've got all these photos of us just sitting around pretending to have conversations with the World Cup trophy. And now when I go to functions and they get it out and they have the white gloves and all that, I just laugh. I think, oh, my God, the things that that trophy's seen. Um, <laughs> probably bored off its head now. Yeah, exactly. That is outstanding. It misses you. You, of course, had yes. victories in Auckland, Christchurch, Birmingham, Manchester and Kuala Lumpur. Did you have a favourite place to play? Oh, I loved, always loved playing in New Zealand because they're so passionate about their netball and the crowd got into it and they really disliked me. And um, you know, I, was, <laughs> I was always trying to get under the skin of Irene Fandaku. They loved, she was like their saviour. So I loved playing in New Zealand. I went back to New Zealand a few years ago on a holiday and I was like, oh my God, you people are all really nice. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so that was quite a revelation. And I lo- we, we always loved a tour to the Caribbean because it's so exotic, right? You, no one from Australia goes and has a holiday in the Caribbean. So, you know, we loved down the Caribbean and we loved touring there because we'd always come home through the United States and make sure we tacked on um, a week or two in the United yeah. States and either went to, you know, spent time in New York or sh- Chicago and all sorts of places. So, yeah, those were my two favourite places to tour. Such great experiences and as much as you talk about being uncoordinated in the early years and being a mischief maker later on, of course, the highest individual accolade awarded to an Australian netball athlete is now the Liz Ellis Diamond. What goes through your head when you hear your name will live on in the sport in perpetuity? I feel like they're talking about somebody else, to be honest, because now I'm a mum who spends most of my days covered in some sort of muck from one child or another. So I'm incredibly honoured and it's sort of, I have to pinch myself that, you know, when I was a snot-nosed sort of eight-year-old starting out my netball journey that everyone thought wouldn't last for a year because mum had warned them that I wasn't going to be very good to where I am now. And, you know, I, I do reflect with a great degree of pride and I'm greatly humbled by the fact that, you know, the Liz Ellis Diamond exists because... You know, and when I think of the players who have won it, it's just, yeah, it's, it sort of just, it sits me back a little bit, rocks me back on my heels. Mm, pretty cool, though. Also, later on, an officer of the Order of Australia for distinguished service to netball as an elite player and coach through support and advocacy for young women as a contributor to the broadcast and print media industries and to the community. That's a hell of an accolade. What does it mean to you? Oh, it actually means more to me that I can share that with my family so um, you know to be able to go to those awards and um, take my mum who Mm. you know invested so much into my career and um, unfortunately dad passed away before I was um, given those sort of honours so he 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 never got to see that but it allows us you know we spend time together and we talk about him and you know he invested a heap into my career as well so to be able to share it with my family my sister my husband you know, Matthew um, and I have been married for 22 years. We've been together for nearly 30 years. And, you know, he has been incredibly supportive of my netball career and my broadcast career. You know, I love what I do, but I couldn't do it without him being here on the weekends to take care of the kids. And, you know, now I ask them to invest in my career because I don't get mum on a lot of weekends. So mm. those sort of awards are as much about sharing them with your family, the people who have invested in your career. And, you know, when I got my AO, I took, you're only allowed um, three guests. So my sister was overseas. So I took my mum, my husband and Julie Fitzgerald because she's been a huge part of my career as well. So, you know, they're a great opportunity to say thank you. You know, I get the the awards and the accolades, but I did not do any of it by myself. I couldn't have done it without the support of some really incredible people. 
And how did you find out? Was it uh, is it an official letter? Do you get what, some sort of like gold embossed card? Yeah, you do. You get a letter, and it's got like it's this fancy envelope with the um, embossed all over it. Yeah. Like my first thought is, what have I done wrong? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a warrant. <laughs> yeah, who have I upset this time? So, like, you open it, and it's it's quite surreal. So, you know, I was I've been fortunate. I received an AM. Um, just after uh, I retired and then a couple of years ago that got upgraded to the AO. So and one of the great things is now that I get used as a referee. So, you know, once you receive those awards, if someone gets nominated from your industry, you, can, you get asked to be a referee for them. So I love now. I just love talking up anyone from netball when I get asked to be a referee <laughs> because, you know, we talk about it now and you see it. We want more women to receive these awards. And I'm really grateful that I actually have this background in netball because, it is the best sport for women to be involved in. And, you know, I want to see more people who have been a part of netball's development and rise be recognised. A worthy AO recipient, Liz Ellis has long been advocating for women inside and outside of netball. Next up, we talk about a move into media. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. potentially career-ending knee injury in 2005 and it just seems like your personality that you would come back bigger and better than ever. How did you do that? Uh, look, I always, I had confidence that I could, but not everyone had confidence. There was a lot of talk around netball that my career was over, that I wouldn't be able to come back, that I was on the slide before my injury. But now I look back at that injury and think it was the best thing that could have happened because my form was struggling. There was a bit going on in the background of netball, a bit of politicking going on, and having six months away from the sport was that ended up being quite good for me. But at the time, it was really difficult. So I, I did my knee in November 2005, and it was about four months out from the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. And I was desperate, of course, to play in those games. You know, we're not an Olympic sport, so we didn't get an opportunity to play in Sydney for the home games. And I wanted to play home games in Melbourne. So we were sort of working towards that. I pushed aside everything for the next six months to get fit and good for the Commonwealth Games. And then I had this knee injury and I was devastated. But, you know, it's not... The mark of a person is not getting knocked down. It's how they get up. And I just thought, I'm not going to let this be... I'm not going to let fate decide how I finish my netball career. Mm. And, you know, I got a call from an ex-player saying, you could retire because you've done everything in the game. Don't be hard on yourself. And I thought, no, I'm not letting one piece of fate Mm. dictate that. So, you know, how do you end an elephant? One bite at a time. I basically um, just started doing little prehab exercises and working on my knee. And I mapped out a whole six-month plan to get me back on the court. And I was so focused um, one of my teammates got married during that time and we, we all went away for the wedding and I took my wobble board with me because I was not going to miss a day of rehab. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hard work to live with sometimes, Steph. So, um, you know, I was so single-minded about that and actually came back when I made my return. I, you know, I had these dreams that would be in lights, you know, playing for the Swifts, but it was playing for Karinga in the backcourt at State League, warming up outdoors on a Wednesday night. But just to be back was just amazing. And my goal was to not miss a Swiss game. And we started, I think, in early May. And I, I played round one. And that really just set me off and on the path. So, you know, I am nothing if not single-minded and determined. And sometimes that's to my detriment. But in that instance, it was, you know, I just went as hard as I could to get as strong and as fit as I could. And I actually ended up, I won the Player of the Year award that year because, you know, I'd come back so well. So 
that that whole knee injury was horrible. And back then, Netball Australia weren't particularly mature in how they dealt with injured athletes. It was like, I was like a hot potato. The moment I was injured, I was dropped. I was dropped out of the system. No one communicated with me. The new captains were named. No one asked me if I wanted to help out with the team in their preparation for the Commonwealth Games. It was awful. Now things have changed and athletes are kept you know, are kept within the system and communicated with and given support. But I had to really go out and scratch up my own support team and really sort of find my own way. And that was really difficult. And it it made me more determined than ever to see the Players Association get up and be successful Mm. so that we could look after players when this stuff happened to them. Because it's, it's a horrific situation to be in when you spend your whole time in a team situation and then you get injured and you're left all alone. It's awful. That must have been devastating. What do you do? Go home and cry into your pillow? Uh, a, a bit, yeah. There were a lot of tears. You know, my husband, though, was fantastic. His rugby career finished because of a back injury, and he was pretty determined to not have two of us in the family <laughs> finishing sporting careers with injuries. So he was amazing, and I can't, I, he was just so incredible in terms of being proactive about getting me started. You know, he, he's not like this at all. He's, he's always kept my career sort of at arm's length. Mm. and when I injured myself he rang a physio and made the appointment for me which blew me away and he was like no no we're going to get on top of this so you know he was amazing I was really fortunate that I have a great family support terrific friends and Mm. you know a great husband because if I didn't have either of those sort of three pillars I would have really struggled and you know my well-being would have taken a dive I mean as it was it was hard enough but to have that support was really important but yeah there were times when just stupid things. I remember sitting and watching Maccabi Diva win her third Melbourne Cup and I bored my eyes out because I wasn't going to be able to go to my third Commonwealth Games. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, like just little things that just set you off. Now I look back and I go, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. It was just so difficult to be really excluded from the Australian mm. netball team because it had been part of my life for so long and it made me determine not only to come back to actually but to also change the system. But you, you came back as I said, so successfully uh, had a cracking couple of years. So how do you then know it's time to pull a pin? Uh, my body started to tell me, and also my mind. Like I came back and I was so focused on my rehab and I played 2006 and were really successful and I'd sort of proved everything I needed to prove. And I was looking forward to the 2007 World Cup. I'd got back to being the captain and I'd started to find myself dreading the drive out to training. It was a 45-minute drive from where I lived to get to Olympic Park and I thought this is wrong you know I should be looking forward to going to training so and the way to put it is as much as I loved playing training you're doing the same thing anyone doing the same thing at 34 that they were doing in their job at 18 there's going to be parts of it that bore you Mm -hmm. and for me you know ball work drills just bored the life out of me so you know if I could have just gone to the gym and played I'd still be playing now but you know, all the stuff that goes with being an athlete, the meetings, the training, the individual sessions, all that sort of stuff had started to get to me. And I thought, right, I, I think my mind is telling me it's time to finish. My husband and I wanted to start a family. We wanted to do some travel before we did that. So the clock was ticking. And then I got a really bad arthritic reaction in my feet, which sort of plagued that 2007 season. And I thought, that's it. My body's telling me I've had a good go. And I thought, I'm going to get through to that World Cup. But I made the decision and decided I wasn't going to tell anyone because I didn't want it to take away from the team. We were going to have a hard enough time trying to win the World Cup that was being held in New Zealand. And New Zealand were the world champions, they were the Commonwealth Games champions. And I knew we couldn't afford any distractions. So I just kept it a secret. I told my husband, my family and Coxie and 
that was it. And I just worked towards that World Cup to be the finish. You did make a move into media. Who on earth was brave enough to decide to give you a microphone? Oh, <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't, you know, the first time after I'd retired and I, I plan everything. So I'd started to pick up some media work really as early as sort of 2000. I'd actually worked for Channel 7 on the 2000 Olympics on their pay TV. They used to have a, a channel called C7 for anyone who remembers that. <laughs> And it was the pay TV version of, you know, of their free-to-air channel. And so I worked overnight. Paul Ruse and I did um, hosting overnight. And so I'd sort of been given all that training. And it was a really soft entry because it wasn't in the high pressure of free-to-air. And, but it was, you know, it was the Olympics, which was really exciting. So I'd sort of started doing that. Um, and I was doing radio as well at the time. I'd, I started to work with Adam Spencer and Will Anderson on Triple J on Breakfast mm. Radio. And... Radio, as you know, is a great grounding for television and it's my happy place. So I started really doing that work in 2000 and then I was sort of, I picked up bits and pieces and, and worked at the Rugby World Cup and a few different things. And then as my career, I sort of started towards to get to the end of my career, I, I spoke to my agent and I said, we need to plan this out So I don't want to retire from netball, I want to retire to something. So we started to put a plan in place It involved making sure that the moment I retired that my agent started talking to Channel 10 who had the rights for the netball the following year about what that might look like. I'd picked up some board work, which was really important to me. You know, I've got a legal background and I like to keep those muscles a bit active. So I'd sort of increased that work as well when I retired. And yeah, I just had a plan to, to retire to that sort of work. And I also did some travel after finishing. So when pre-season started for my teammates. I made sure I was overseas so I wasn't missing it. But yeah, the, the media stuff has come pretty naturally. I used to get in trouble a lot for talking at school. No, really? And really, all I was doing, <laughs> Steph, was preparing for my career. Oh, oh right, um, internship. Yeah, yeah, that's right, for 20 years. Now. So look, on the one hand, I think I'm, for, I'm, I'm fortunate because, you know, media jobs are pretty hard to come by. But on the other hand, I know how hard I've worked for it. I've done, you know, I started the prep for this you know, 25 mm. years ago, really. And I started it by saying yes to everything when some of the girls didn't want to get out of bed to go and do a radio interview or, you know, go and do the Today Show. I always said yes because mm. it was all about building my profile and building my capabilities. Mm. And I've heard you commentate a number of sports, as you've mentioned. The golf comes to mind because I think you're ideally suited to that because it allows so much time to have a bit of a yarn in the middle. Did you particularly <laughs> enjoy that? <laughs> I loved golf and I was I was playing it a lot of, at the time, you know, and I don't know, once you have kids, your golf game falls away. So I'm desperate for my youngest to start school next year so I can start playing golf again. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> anything where you, can, where you can have a chat. And, you know, just being able to commentate um, the women's golf was just, it was such a challenge. You know, I can do netball now. I'm good at it because I've done it for so long. But to be given a golf tournament, to say, right, learn the names, learn the rules, learn what you should say, learn what you can't say, learn the lingo. It was unreal and mm. I loved it. I loved the opportunity. <laughs> you mentioned the legal background as well. You did a law degree where you're still playing, is that right? Yeah, I did. That was the easy part, doing the law degree. <laughs> the hard part was actually working as a solicitor because when you do your degree, you know, your, your, your tutors and your lecturers, they're pretty lenient with you. Oh, I've got to go and play netball for Australia. Can I have an extension? They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you start in the workforce and you say to your client, I've got to go and play netball, and they really don't care. They want their contract when they want their contract. So um, I practised for four years and I thought that I would make partner in Captain Australia. And as it turns out, that the Venn diagram doesn't really overlap. Um, <laughs> Doing those two things. So after four years, I thought, right, I've got to 
I've got to I've got to do what I want to do, and I want to play netball. And um, I figured out a way to sort of make it pay its way. I started up some coaching clinics um, that I ran for about eighteen years, and um, to pay my way. And I thought, always thought I could fall back on my legal career if I needed to, and so far I haven't needed to. Yeah, well, you've still got a voice, though, advocating a, a better place for women in sport and in sport in general. There have been a couple of articles published in recent weeks around the system and what's wrong with it in regard to the empowering of women in this space. What's your take on that? I love, firstly, I love the fact that there's a number of women speaking up. It's not just, you know, me and one or two others. Mm. There's a lot of women coming from their own experience, and I, I feel actually really fortunate that, my background is in netball because in my sport, my gender was never an issue about who got the leadership positions. Women are the, are the natural leaders within netball. So I just assume that women can lead because that's all I've seen is women leading, being the head coach or the captain or you know the president or the chair or the CEO. That's pretty much what I've seen. Mm. So I'm, I feel very, very, I'm very grateful that for my experiences in netball. And the more I have to do with other sports, the more I think, oh my God, like, I don't know that I want my daughter playing a sport where she has to compete. You know, she's she's at a disadvantage by way of her gender to, mm. to pick up a leadership position, to be the coach. So, you know, I think there's a bit of talk, do we blow up the system and, I, and you know, put it back together again better? I don't know that you can, but I think we've had a lot of talk about equality for female athletes and we're not there, but that is on its way. That conversation is on its way. I think now we need to turn our attention to make sure in sports where both genders compete. We need to make sure that we are focused on having some equality in terms of coaches, in terms of high-performance coaches. You know, regardless of what's happening with swimming at the moment, the, the simple fact of the matter is when you look at the Swimming Coaches Hall of Fame, there's, a, I think, 144 coaches and something like 14 of them are women. There's only two, ever been ever two women go to the Olympics as swimming coaches. So that suggests that there's an issue, right, at some level. And it's not just a merit system. There's something in the system that is preventing women from achieving their best. So, you know, I think coaching and then governance is, ob is the obvious thing as well. So, you know, there's plenty of research around, you know, I'm interested in governance because of my legal background. There's plenty of research around proving that diversity on boards actually gives you a much better outcome. And sport seems to be, has an opportunity to lead the way. Australia generally at a corporate level and, and in sport is not very good in terms of gender diversity, but also, you know, other types of diversity. So making sure you have people of colour, yeah, you include a lot of different people. So, you know, I look at the conversation that's having been had in sport at the moment and it's difficult and it's awkward at times and it's uncomfortable, but it's a conversation that has to be had because it's going to make the sports system better. It's going to make, it's going to develop better leaders. It's going to develop a more diverse set of letters and it's going to make sport more accessible for all Australians. And at the end of the day, that is what the sport system should be, something that every Australian can access and feel comfortable in. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting to netball legend Liz Ellis. Liz, all the things that you do and all the involvement you've got, not just in, in governments, but still in the netball world, in the media world, you had time somewhere to have a couple of kids. What's changed in your life since becoming a mum? <laughs> oh, well, I'm now, I've now got silver hair, literally. <laughs> I decided in the pandemic last year to embrace the grey uh, in my 40s. Um, so, uh, look, you know, my, my whole priority system has flipped and... Now, when I, when I agree to take on work, um, it, it has to be work that A, I'm interested in and B, that 
that works with my family. So I live regionally. I live in regional New South Wales. So I have to commute. I have to fly. Um, my husband's a farmer. So I actually prioritise as much time as I can with him. And little, it's little things like I don't take on jobs during the school holidays because I... And we have a saying at our, at our house, in summer, you get your mama. So I don't work <laughs> over summer. You know, I don't work December, January, February because I work every weekend through the rest of the year. So, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I love being a mum. I get so much joy out of my kids. I get so much joy at the moment coaching Evelyn's school netball team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we play on a Saturday morning and I've actually... I've got so many kids now that we've got two teams. And I like to think that's because I'm a great coach, but really it's because at the end of trainings, I give everyone a zooper duper. So I get record numbers of kids turning up to training. But I get so much joy seeing how much they love netball. And that makes me happy. And my little boy um, teaches me something every day. He adores his mother. So that's good. And, you know, he's desperate to play footy like dad. And yeah, I, and we've got a, a pretty nice life, but it's a life that we've deliberately chosen. And I'm very deliberate about the stuff that I do now and the stuff that I get involved in because I want to maximise time with my kids. Are your kids aware yet that mum's a bit of a big deal? Evelyn's aware, Austin's not, and neither of them are, are as impressed as they should be. And <laughs> like <laughs> my little net set go team, they don't care who I am. They care that I and get them access to the players that they like, but they don't care who I am and what I've done. They are, they are absolutely not interested. Oh, that is absolutely hysterical. Of course, as, a, as an athlete, you were used to being able to achieve pretty much anything if you put your mind to it. Was your main emotion frustration when you had challenges conceiving? Yeah, well, it was for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, we conceived Evelyn really easily. Um within a couple of within six weeks of deciding we'd like to fall pregnant, we were pregnant. And I was like, Oh, this baby making cape is easy, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we had we had Evelyn and then we try, started to try to have our second child and it just didn't happen for five years. And that frustration at that my body had done everything that I'd asked it to do during my netball career, come back from injury, be fitter, be stronger it just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And the things that had held me in good stead, the ability to push my body harder, to work harder, to be stronger, they don't count one iota when you're trying to fall pregnant. Fertility takes no notice of how hard you've trained. So um, that was a really difficult thing. And you know, people would say to me, just relax and it'll happen. And I was like, I have never achieved anything by relaxing and waiting for it to happen. <laughs> so... It was frustrating and it was heartbreaking. And, you know, we suffered three miscarriages during that period. And I talk about it openly because I feel like we don't... Miscarriage is really common and we don't talk about it enough and we don't acknowledge the grief from miscarriage enough. And that, uh, particularly my third miscarriage after we'd seen our little boy's heartbeat, was really... um, It was really distressing and I grieved for a long time after that. And after that, I thought, I can't do this anymore. And we actually... Um, stopped fertility treatment and then Austin came along the old-fashioned way, which he could have come along earlier. It would have saved us a bit of money and a bit of grief. But anyhow, he came along, which is good. So, yeah, it taught me a lot about myself and yeah. it taught me a lot about, um, you know, about being kind to myself mm. because I really did beat myself up for waiting so long to have kids. And Matthew just kept reminding me, he was like, you know, you had a bit on, you were winning World Cups. And I was like, I would swap every single one of them for a baby. Of course, I wouldn't now. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's something that is so central to who you are that 
it, it really, yeah, it knocked me about. But, you know, and then I wrote a book about it, as everyone yeah. does, and I feel much better for it. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective, though, isn't it, how much people talk about it once they know. I know that I've had a few miscarriages and had an ectopic pregnancy and thought, oh, I don't want to talk about it. You know, this is not something people discuss. And the minute someone finds out, you find out every second person's had one. And sharing totally, it really right? helps. It does because it's not – and you realise it's got nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. It is just – it is – just nature it is what it is and it's a, a bit similar with fertility treatment you know once I sort of started talking about that you everyone's got a story so many people have accessed some sort of fertility treatment and don't talk about it so you know I just want to normalize it because mm. it's, it's really part of the female condition to a degree and the thing that taught that I learned about when I was writing my book is the amount of male infertility around and how it's not talked about because men feel embarrassed, yet mm. it's such a it's such a regular thing. It's quite common. So, you know, we could all all actually do ourselves a favour and um, you know destigmatise that sort of stuff. Liz, you've had some great adventures in life. You've built a, a halcyon existence, if you like, with the house on the farm and the beautiful children and the fabulous farmer husband. Tell me, in your previous life, when you were gallivanting around the world, you must have met some people almost as famous as you. Who's the most renowned person you've crossed paths with? Oh, gosh, that's a, oh, man. I've got two that stand out, mm. having met a lot of people. I met Condoleezza Rice. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, and she was amazing. I met her, and I would have followed her to the ends of the earth. She was a phenomenally charismatic, intelligent woman, and I got to have a conversation with her. She was in Melbourne at the two, and when the 2006 Commonwealth Games were on, and she wanted to meet some athletes. So some phone calls were made, and I thankfully got sort of put into the net so it was brief but oh man she was super impressive and I <laughs> Kat Cox and I once ended up backstage at the Foo Fighters and um <laughs> drank, you did. <laughs> and drank parking with Dave Grohl which ranks as an outstanding night I have to say so to meet someone who's been in two of the biggest bands in the world was pretty amazing Oh, that is extraordinary. So you said... <laughs> we walked in and he goes, ah, you're the netballers. And we're like, oh, my God, you're the girl. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> so if you could host a dinner party, you and Coxie, a World Cup trophy, and invite a couple of other legends, either either living or dead, who would be on your list? Oh, man, Steph, you need depression for that notice. <laughs> That's um, fair, is it? <laughs> oh, well, I'd, I'd invite Matthew because he's put up with me for so long. God love him. <laughs> oh, and, sure. you know... Um, Oh, look, just I like, wouldn't mind reacquainting myself with Dave and um, and Condoleezza. That'd be pretty nice. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh, there's so many. My little girl at the moment is obsessed with pink, and so I wouldn't mind getting her along for a chat. Yeah. Um, make, make it a table of ten, yeah. something for everyone, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. You know, and we want a, a couple of great, like, female athletes, wouldn't we? You know, yeah. I, I, you know I'd like to have um, Liz Cambage because... She would absolutely keep conversation going, and then she could DJ at the end of the night, which oh, would be pretty cool. That's a great idea. I can imagine you two together in a room. That's a that's actually quite a frightening thought. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, the two lizards. Oh my god, there's like there's a whole show in that. Yeah, and a dinner you don't want to miss. Aside from all that, you sound really happy in the moment. What's the future look like for you? Well, I don't know. Actually, um, we've ordered a caravan. <laughs> My husband, the poor thing, he just puts up with my whimsical ideas. So we've ordered an off-road caravan. So I'm desperate to sort of start some caravanning adventures because we spent a lot of time as kids um, on the road with my parents traipsing around Australia. And I think Australia is a brilliant country that's got so much 
to see and I want to show my kids as well. So we sort of kick off some adventures hopefully um, when we get our van. And I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how long I'll come and take for. It does take me away from my kids on weekends and I'm really desperate. You know, they're only this age once. They're only playing mm. Saturday sport once. So we'll sort of see how all that pans out. You know, Foxtel have the rights for the netball next year. So we're all sort of waiting to see what they do. But I have learned, you know, so much of my life has been incredibly planned out because I'm, a, as I said earlier, I'm a natural planner and I'm a crazy list writer. But I am learning at the moment to just roll with things and to see what happens. And certainly going through infertility taught me how to do that. Mm. Um, so I don't know, Steph, what the future holds. I'm looking at my vegetable patch and thinking it needs a bit of work. So, um, you know, there might be some dirty fingernails in my future. Oh, seriously. When you go on your caravanning holiday, I want to come along and shoot the docker. That'd be a, 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 oh. a brilliant spin-off for the uh, Suncorp Super Netball coverage. Liz Ellis, you are one of the greats. You've been so generous with your time. Keep being fabulous and thanks for sharing a bit of yourself with us on Trailblazers. Oh, thanks so much, Steph. It's been great to chat to you as always.